Hi everyone, I'm David Green. Welcome to the final episode of Series 11 of the Digital HR Leaders Podcast. I first met today's podcast guest nearly four years ago, just before he embarked on his current role. I was hugely impressed. His background as an economist, his focus on delivering value, and his sheer passion for the possibilities afforded by people analytics meant, I judged, that he had all the ingredients to be successful. Today, as Head of People Strategy and Analytics at Capital One, Guru Sethipathy presides over one of the leading people analytics functions in the world. During this just shy of four-year tenure, Guru has quadrupled the size of the team to around 100 people, and together with his team has delivered significant value to the business, as well as Capital One's associates. Guru is a deep thinker and has retained that passion for people analytics I saw four years ago. I know that listeners will enjoy learning from Guru's experience and vision for people analytics during the next 45 minutes or so. In our conversation, Guru and I discuss the key milestones of how people analytics has been scaled at Capital One during Guru's tenure. We look at how people analytics has supported Capital One and its associates during the pandemic. And we count through the steps that Capital One has taken to build a data-driven culture across its HR function. Guru and I talk also about how to scale people analytics by developing products that people will use. And we look at how well-equipped HR functions have thrived during the crisis of 2020. We also look at how to turn insights from people analytics work into actions and explore the role of HR in helping to prepare organizations for hybrid ways of working. This episode is a must listen for anyone interested or involved in people analytics, employee experience and HR technology. So that's business leaders, CHROs and anyone in a people analytics, learning, HR tech or HR business partner role. Support for this podcast is brought to you by OrgView. In an era when market dynamics are constantly shifting, OrgView is the leading organizational planning and design software that puts businesses on the front foot. It harnesses the power of data and modeling to build more adaptable and better performing organizations. What OrgView does best is give you control of your organization and, with the data evidence, help you make faster, more confident decisions to get the right people doing the right work at the right cost. This is real-time organizational decision-making for times of change. That's why OrgView is used by the world's foremost companies and consulting firms to fearlessly build their organizations of the future today. To discover more, visit the website at orgview.com. That's orgvue.com. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Guru Sethipathy, Head of People Strategy and Analytics at Capital One to the Digital HR Leaders podcast. Welcome to the show, Guru. It's fantastic to have you here. Can you provide listeners with a brief introduction to your background and your role at Capital One? Hey, yeah, happy to. Good morning, David. I think afternoon for you. Uh, Always a pleasure to chat with you on on these topics. Um, So yeah, so thanks for having me. Um, I've been at Capital One for three and a half years. Uh, lead people strategy and analytics. And obviously, I think we'll go more into the organization and what we do um, in, in a few minutes. Um, but about my background, a little bit, I've spent time in a variety of spaces. Um, previous to Capital One, I was a consultant at McKinsey. Um, and before that, I was um, uh, an academic uh, economist. Um, and I, I think that's really kind of the, uh, the, the, the early stages of my kind of interest and passion in my, in, in my career in human capital that's evolved over the last decade. Um, um, that's where it started, was in academia and doing research on the workforce, on human capital, on skills, and how globalization and automation is kind of affecting all of that is where I got my initial 
starting point and, and that's landed me here. I know you, you'll know as well because from speaking to your peers that you all come from quite different backgrounds and I'm just wondering how your background as an economist actually helps you in your role. Yeah, I think there's a couple different ways. One, it, it got me really interested and passionate about the importance of this work, right? Um, you know, some of my research that I did back then is just the importance of human capital, right? Like if you just step back for a second and when you ask about, hey, why are some countries richer than others? Just fundamental questions of economics. Human capital is the one that keeps coming up over and over and over. The more educated and the more uh, kind of intelligent and the more educated and the more productive and the more capable your workforce is, that's just going to correlate with all sorts of other uh, wonderful outcomes from an economic and health and uh, other perspectives, right? So it's just deeply, deeply, deeply important. And so then the question becomes, how do you achieve that as a country? And then how do you achieve that at even at, at local levels and state levels and communities and even companies, right? They play, all play a really important role. So human capital is just fundamentally such an important question. And then the other thing I realized is we don't know much about this topic, actually. Like it's one of the most important things. And we actually don't know what works and what doesn't, what causes um, how does hiring actually work, right? And is that the right way it should work? How does internal functions of a company work in terms of product, you know, productive output and how do teams function and, and how do people get promoted and, uh, you know, and the incentive structure and the performance and productivity and how these things are all kind of interrelated. Why do people leave? What causes them to leave? And what, how about career mobility and how do people evolve their skill sets over time? And one of the really interesting insights that seems obvious now, but that I had is, most of our skill set is actually learned on the job. It's not in school, right? Um, and that gets more and more true as your career progresses. But we know so little about like how do we evolve our career to progress our skills in the right way, right? And how does an individual do that in a more thoughtful way? And how might a leader or a company help their workforce do that in a more thoughtful way? And so there's just so many questions that you might even have, David, about your own career, or I might even have about mine that we all have at the individual level, but then also companies and countries have at the macro level. And there's just so much we don't know about something that's so deeply important. And so that's what a lot of that is what got me interested in this space. And then the other thing that has been helpful is just a lot of the tools and techniques, regression modeling, statistical modeling, like all of the te te technical tools that we've been able to bring into um, some of the work we do at Capital One has also been quite useful. So you brought this learning, this curiosity, this background in economics to Capital One, um, as you said, three and a half years or just over three and a half years ago. And under your leadership, the, the function has really scaled. I think there was around 25 people when you joined and you're around 100 people now, which certainly from, from my experience of working with several organizations around the world makes it one of the largest and most advanced functions I've seen. You know, what have been some of the key milestones on this journey? Yeah, good question. Uh, there's a couple that come to mind. Um, right off the bat, I talk about vertical integration. What is that? Vertical integration is the idea that uh, oftentimes I hear in, in companies, the people analytics function is actually separate from the reporting function, the consulting function, the strategy function, and the data function, right? And these are all like different pieces. And so people analytics might be just one of those pieces or two of those pieces. We are all of those pieces. And that's really, really important. And if you want, we can go later into why that is. But that was like an important step in our journey in terms of getting all of that vertically integrated. The next kind of big milestone is really improving the quality of our data and the measurement of things that we care about. And so, again, we hired a lot of specialists, IO psychologists and other um, people who have a real specialization in this degree, but also data folks really to improve the quality of, of, of people data and HR data. The next step was really then moving on that journey to insights and products, right? Hey, now that we got 
the data in a good spot. And our business leaders and HR partners really trust the data coming out of our shop. Let's take it to the next level. How do we provide insights? How do we automate those insights? And how do we distribute? Uh, this is something I often talk about. How do we distribute those insights? What are the channels of distribution to get those insights out into the hands of decision makers? Um, and then, and then the current, and, and and then the current kind of phase that we're in right now. How do we now go to the next level, which is really strategy and changing systems? Um, and 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 we can again talk about that. I know you have some some some, some questions you want to ask there, but that's kind of been our journey, and those have been some of our key milestones. Obviously, it's a, it's a large team, and I like the fact it's got all of those pieces together. It just just makes sense, doesn't it? You know, you're surprised that more organisations don't do it really. But the, how is the team structured? You know, it's got a high level sort of thing. Yeah, let me start with that vertical integration point because I think that's key to the structure of the team. But basically, my team owns everything from like, hey, once data is entered into the HRIS systems, right? Uh, we take over and move the data with our tech partners to the cloud. And then my team owns the data infrastructure, the data models, the data governance and operations in the data warehouse in the cloud. So we own that. And the benefit of, of having that within our team is then we have downstream analysts on our team who work with the data, obviously, right? And they do insights and they do modeling and all of that stuff. But having them be on the same team allows for much more higher productivity of like, hey, you know, a prioritization of what the, of what the downstream data team is doing. Right. And so then you're not having friction of like, oh, I wish that data went in the, in the cloud first. Why did you put this data in the cloud first? You're not having that kind of friction. And so the prioritization of things gets much, much more um, coordinated and seamless. Right. Um, and so that's been a huge benefit to our analysts to be all part of one team before they had to negotiate all of that. And it was quite painful. Um, so then moving up. So, so, so we have this data team. We also have a products team that's really responsible for taking those data and, and creating really useful data products, um, descriptive products. But now we've moved into prescriptive and predictive products. So really using, starting to use machine learning in there, natural language processing, and, and really generating automated insights. We have capabilities now where you can sign up into our product ecosystem and get actually automated um, information such as, hey, David, do you know, for instance, the attrition rate in the last month in your organization uh, picked up quite a bit relative to previous quarters? Right. So it's starting to get information like that kind of automated and sent to you. Right. Um, so that's our product team. And then we have a suite of consulting consulting type teams, I would call it, yeah. that really are a combination of analysts and other experts using the data to drive, you know, um, to draw insights and then make recommendations and consult with various um, lines of businesses, so to speak. Right. And like shaping their talent strategy. Hey, whether that be diversity, whether that be workforce planning, whether that be, um, you know, any topic that you can imagine, like really shaping the talent strategy for those teams. And then we have an innovation team that's focused on like multi-year projects, uh, you know, that might not have a direct customer today, but I think is going to transform the space two, three, four years out. Um, so that's the nature uh, of our team. Having it all together and all the various parts working together, I guess is, is one key learning. But what are some of the other key learnings that for you on the journey? One is around impact. You know, there's so many cool things you can do in this space, David, right? And we've talked about them and I think they're, um, it's just fascinating because there's so much we don't know. Like it, this goes back to the earlier point I made, like there's just so much we don't know. It's like, I feel like a kid at a candy store sometime, like, oh, we could do this and we could do that and we could do this and, and you could do all of that. Um, but I think being focused on the impact is just going to drive so much more buy-in from your CHRO, from your business partners, from other partners. And so just always kind of truing back to that, no matter how much 
you get distracted or there's this shiny object over here is something we always come back to. And I think that's helped us um, accelerate in our journey. The second thing is, look, we can build out a lot of cool things, but people need to know how to use it, right? You can build out all this. And so it's a little bit of the, the startup mentality around product market fit, right? Yeah. Like, are you building things that people find really useful? And it goes a little bit to impact, but it's even more than that, right? And sometimes you might actually have to educate your customers, right? And, and I think we'll talk about this later too. Like, how is HR upskilling to kind of leverage this thing that we've built? And how are we helping them on that journey? But you can build all sorts of cool things. But like, if it's not the exact thing that solves the need for our HR business partners, it's not going to be super helpful. But maybe we also have some insights in thinking, hey, guys, you don't think that's helpful, but let me tell you why it's helpful. And let me help you get there on that journey and take you to a different place. And so that like a little bit of that given back and forth, right? It's the old Steve Jobs line of like people didn't know they wanted iPhones until we built it for them, right? Yeah. Like that, you, you got to have a little bit of that mentality as well and then help people get there and help people see your vision and meet you there. So it's a little bit of a combination of like, hey, be useful and do what people want and, and, and help them and, and have impact. But also how do you bring them along when you have a vision for something and you can, um, and, and try to get them to see your vision and, and, and build the skills in them to meet you halfway. We talked to, you know, about, about impact, usability, scale, uh, value. It's uh, interesting. We've, we've recently conducted research at Insight 222 on how to deliver value at scale with people analytics and, and research with, with 60 global organizations. And it's quite interesting. One of the key findings was that how uh, leading organizations are structuring their people analytics functions along similar lines to you, actually, with consulting product, obviously the, the technical, the data and the analysts to, to focus on delivering business values. And what I'm wondering is, you know, what are the main focus uh, focus areas for people analytics at Capital One? Let me uh, hit on a few and see if this answers your question, if this, if this is the right variety for you. So, um, you know, to your point, we, we first focus on just like solving kind of tactical needs early in our journey, like 2017 into 18. The, the mantra that I had for my team is just be useful. Right. Like, don't sit there and tell them we have this flashy thing. It doesn't matter. Just solve the thing that they need. And let's just build that credibility and let's be useful. Right. Now, as we've shifted, we've built that credibility. We've built the team. They trust us. And we're really trusted partners. Now we can start to say, hey, guys, this is what we think we should focus on. So here are the things that we're landing on are going to be high priorities for us. Uh, Sourcing and selection. At the end of the day, the talent that you hire is one of the most important decisions that a company makes, not just from a talent perspective, but from a business perspective, right? Like it is the thing. And bringing in great talent that's going to uh, have high potential in your company is incredible. And I think the way companies hire is fundamentally broken. There are all sorts of problems that, that, that exist and all sorts of incentive problems and information problems. And there's just a, often a mismatch and, and so on and so forth. So how do you actually transform that? And how do we bring data insights and technology to transform that hiring process. There's also a lot of amazing vendors in this space. So that's a huge area of priority for us. But then once they're here, that's only half the battle, right? And then so the other big piece we're working on, uh, two parts, one is around the fairness of our talent systems. And this has been one of my passion areas. How do we use data analytics, but then behavioral change to fundamentally make our talent systems, when I say talent systems, I mean hiring, promotion, and pay, right? How do we make these the fairest that are possible, right? The most fair systems that you can imagine that really are about meritocracy, 
and really enabling the best uh, best talent to succeed and, and, and helping everyone be their best. And then connecting that to internal mobility, because that's also important. So these are two pieces of like the post-hire priorities, fair talent systems and internal mobility. And how do you build a efficient internal marketplace? So from a topical standpoint, that's kind of how we talk about our priorities going forward. And then you have um, our products, right? That's going to be another area of, uh, of prioritization in terms of Hey, what is the product ecosystem we're building? How do we democratize data, insights, actionable insights, predictive insights, et cetera? And we're going to, we've made a long, a lot of progress there, but that's going to be a huge focus of our journey as well. Are there any examples of any products, for example, that you've built that you can share with listeners? I'll give examples of, of a couple of things uh, that I'll talk about. One is in our product space, uh, a product that we've got, one of the things I've no- we noticed is when people have talent conversations, right? And we're talking about, hey, Guru, how's Guru doing? How's he doing in this role? And how's he doing rest of his, compared to his peers? And how's he, how, how's he been doing relative to the last three years? People just didn't have all of that information in one spot. And so when people have a lot of talent conversations, we notice there's some data that they bring and there's some kind of evidence that they bring to the conversation, but there's also speculation in those conversations. Oh, wasn't Guru struggling three years ago? No, that was two years ago. Oh, no, maybe that was four years. Or like, no, no, he's been great the last two years, actually, because X, Y. And it's just like, and so you start to see a lot of like mythologies start building into people's minds around people, organizations, et cetera. And so our goal here was to like have real-time data in front of, of leaders and with their HRC partners as they're having these conversations. So an example of this is we have a tool called um, Workflow that really allows you to see how a person's career in, has evolved over time. And to, it's, that's actually easier said than done because you have to have the view of that person and all the different roles that they've been and and, and see how their compensation might have changed over that time, how their role has changed over that time, how their levels have changed over that time, all their feedback, their ratings, who they reported to. And so you have all the contextual knowledge to see how this person, just to give you that really rich view of this person when you're talking about them as opposed to speculating. And the benefit of that is all the mythologies that creep into conversations you can call them mythologies, you can call them biases, and, and, they, and they kind of, the, blur, the line blurs sometimes. But you can, you can refute those in real time and say, no, that's actually not true. This is what happened, right? And so the power of tools like that, and I gave you one example there about individuals, but you can also do that for organizations. So, so David could say, oh, gosh, it's, it's really hard. Um, you know, you know, it's been really hard leading this team because I, when I came in, I had a bunch of low performers. Actually, no, David, you didn't. Look at this data. We have this in real time. And you actually had some really talented folks. Like, so you can like get away from all of these things that just take the conversations in all sorts of directions and like really get to the heart of like, hey, how are we evaluating someone and what decisions are we making? So I'm really proud of like the products we've created in that space to like transform fundamentally how might you talk about talent and organizational decisions, right? So that's kind of one category of example I'd like to, to share with you. The other is, uh, is, is very much in the selection space, right? So how do we build selection tools? So we're in, in the process of transforming our selection process um, and, our, and our interview process and our cases and, our, um, and, and also using technology to transform our top of the funnel. And how do you automate the top of the funnel, right? Like what if we had a world where like almost, imagine a world where anybody could apply, anybody in the world could apply, right? And we had such an amazing tool at the top of the funnel that it would narrow it down, as opposed to saying, we're just going to go to 10, 15 universities and find business majors or, or, or engineering majors from those 15 schools, right? To me, that's a transformative idea. And so we are working on building out tools and products that will allow for that, for that change. 
So those are a couple of examples. And certainly with the talent conversation one, you can see t- it ticks one of your boxes around usability straight away because it's it's helping people in the flow of work have those conversations. The, the one around the selection, you know, there's a lot of talk around how some of these things aren't, aren't fair, but what could be fairer than actually opening up the funnel to, to more people and not just selecting those same universities all the time. And also, you know, clearly, you know, if you make that experience really good as well for people applying, but you're also saving time, you know, so that you actually, you, you people interviewing, they're interviewing the right people at the right time rather than, than early on. So, yeah, I mean, I think clearly some, some big opportunities there. And I, and just to come back on you, I like the way that you connect it with the kind of internal marketplace as well, because we know that how important that is, that not just bringing the right people in, it's about helping them develop their careers within an organisation and tying silos such as learning and, and and internal mobility together, which I guess you can do with all the little various things that you can connect together with analytics. So, uh, so, so really good. And funny enough, we're going to talk a little bit about the, the crises now, because I think it's been more than one this year, let's be perfectly honest about it. And for those listening, um, the episode's coming out in early 2021. We're recording this right at the end of 2020 before Christmas. So one of the features of the crisis is that well-equipped HR functions with strong capability and people analytics have almost been elevated even further by this by this crisis. Can you outline some of the ways that, that people analytics has, has helped support leaders, managers, and employees at Capital One um, in 2020? Yeah, I mean, 2020 has been a tremendous year for, I think, just HR functions. Right. Like, I mean, you know, you would know this better than me, David, given the seat that you sit in and all the people you talk to. But it's definitely true in my case and other peers that I've talked to that just the role of HR has never been more important. Right. And the role of the CHRO and the HR function. Um, and, and, and it's absolutely true at Capital One. I'll give you some examples of the things that our team has been kind of really integrated in in helping um, HR and helping and helping Capital One. One is just around all the stuff related to COVID directly, right? Like the survey team has been never more impactful for, for Capital One in terms of gauging how people are really feeling. And what's interesting is the power of survey. Like there's a kind of an analogy with the poll, you know, polling in, in the country, right? Like polling and surveys are really, really important because otherwise you only hear the loudest voices. You don't hear the most common voices, right? Um, because at various points we've heard loud voices within our company on various things related to COVID policy and working from home and this and that. But then when we took a poll, we realized, or we did the survey, we realized, wait a second, that was just a small minority that was loud, right? And actually the vast majority of people feel like this. And so it's been just so helpful for setting the course of our strategy in terms of moving to work from home, how long should we be working from home, how, how might we stage or sequence or, or stagger a return to work policy for next year, how might we think about remote work? And I know we'll talk about that in a little bit. But how might we think about that going forward, right? So it's just been so tremendous to get the, the viewpoints and the richness of, of thought that people have around these topics in, in, our, in our workforce. So that's been a tremendous uh, way that we've been, we've been really helpful. Um, number two is the DIB space, right? Um, diversity, inclusion, and belonging. And I think that's been another area that's just kind of risen to the forefront in a lot of ways. I think a lot of, for a lot of companies, this has been a topic of interest, but has moved from a topic of interest at Capital One to a business priority. Not, not just an HR priority, but a business priority, David. And so that's a big deal. And so we, you know, we have specific kind of goals around this. And, um, and our team has just been integrated because you can't achieve a lot of those things without looking at the data and looking at causal effects and looking at drivers and looking at Where's the leverage and what do we need to go do and so on and so forth. So in terms of shaping that strategy, 
and bringing data and insights and strategic kind of problem solving to bear. I think our team has been really, really uh, part of that. And and the, and the fairness of the talent systems is, is just like a cousin of that, so to speak, right? Because underlying all of that is how do we make our talent systems as meritocratic and as fair as possible? And so again, our team has been quite heavily, quite heavily involved there. And then the other piece is we've then as an HR function and as a company have picked a couple areas to go deep from a talent systems perspective. And again, the two that I highlighted for you are hiring and uh, internal mobility. And so our team, again, is like right in the thick of that in terms of bringing data, building tools, building products to transform and create more kind of open marketplaces and, 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 and do better hiring. So it, just in terms of like the things that are on the agenda, not just from an HR perspective, but from a business perspective, our team has just been like at the center of it, unlike any previous year. And I'm glad we had, like, if this, if this had been 2017, I don't know if we would have had the capability or strength to do all these things. And, and I feel this was like perfect timing and we were able to show up and, and, and help out. Yeah, I think what's interesting, the crises, a lot of things that were kind of seen as HR initiatives, you know, diversity, inclusion, belonging being one of them, employee experience being another, and employee well-being particularly, I guess, have actually become business priorities. And I think the great thing about with analytics is we can show that, A, we can help answer some of the questions that executives have got in that area, but B, we can actually start to prove the value of doing so as well and being good at that. And that hopefully that means that they will be business priorities beyond the pandemic and, and, and will be in the future as well, because we know that, you know, happy, healthy employees and an inclusive culture actually drive, helps drive business results as well as being the right thing to do as well. And I think that's where we can play a big role um, in, in people analytics. I know we we've known each other for a few years, Guru, and certainly early on in in, in your time at Capital One. And I think you kindly we we did an article together. I think uh, on my HR future a couple of years ago. And I know one of your big passions is about turning some of the insights from people analytics into actions and outcomes. And I think we we spoke at the time around how to drive behavioural change and and how you can use nudges to, to support to do that. So I'd be interested now. Couple of years later, how how you do drive behavioural change through people analysis? I know you've given a couple of examples already, but just to just to talk specifically to that point. So this is work I continue to just be really excited about. I think that there's this tremendous potential here, but it continues to move slowly, and I think in a purposeful way. And I say that uh, not in a disappointed way, but a purposeful way. And the reason I think it should move slowly is because there's so much we don't know, David, about behavioural change, right? Um, there's a lot of research in, in, in academia around, hey, how do you try to drive behavioral change, whether it's cognitive psychology, behavioral economics, whatever, like people have tried a lot, are starting to try a lot of these things in various situations. I think the education field in particular, um, there's a lot of research about, hey, how do you get, you know, for, you know, people to, to learn better and to learn more and to succeed in college and like all these, you know, um, things where I think behavioral change could be powerful and it's had mixed results right? Just to be very honest, right? And I think also in the wellness space, I think in how do you get people to diet and how do you get people to eat better, right? Like that's another area. And again, you, I, I don't know that one as much, but my understanding is it's had mixed results, right? And so I think behavioral change is really, really hard, right? And so I've actually purposely wanted to move slowly on this because I think if you move too quickly, you can actually destroy value and, and destroy opportunity to do this again, because yeah, if I were CHRO and I saw someone come in and do, you know, move too quickly and then it wasn't working, I would probably want to shut it down, right? So you you want to be very thoughtful about how you proceed in this area. Um, I'm really excited to say again, we spent a lot of 2019 um, running pilots, 
right? And really proving out, like, could there be something here, right? Um, of course, you know, it's sure, it, it seems academic, it seems interesting, but like, let's actually tangibly show and run a few experiments, run some a few pilots, and really positively happy to say we, we ran some pilots and there seems to be something there, right? We can't, again, we can't say conclusively because some of them had maybe smaller sample size and other ones, um, we try to design perfect experiments, but like the experiments aren't always perfect. And so you have selection effects in terms of who's selecting into the pilot and so on. So it's hard to prove like conclusively, but if you put the evidence together across those pilots, there does seem to be some evidence of if you nudge people in the right way at the right time with the right type of communications, um, you can actually drive some behavioral change, right? Now then, how do you move from that to sustaining that behavioral change? Because it's one thing to say, hey, David became a better people leader for three months, but hey, I want we want to habituate that to like, he's an incredible people leader and for the rest of his life, right? Like, how do you habituate that? So there's all sorts of complexities there that we're still working through. Our next goal is to really see if we can build out a platform, David, where we can run experiments constantly, right? Because again, there's multiple things here we don't know. We don't know, for instance, um, what type of communications is going to be more successful? Is, it a, is, is something more personalized going to work or not? Because there's actually, the research is mixed on this. Sometimes when it's more personalized, you take it obviously more personally. And so then you end up thinking, oh, I'm getting, this, this email is criticizing me, right? And you might actually have a negative reaction to that versus if it's general, maybe you don't take it as personally, right? So you, you could, but it, sometimes if it's general, it's less applicable to you. So there's all these trade-offs, right? So the style of communications, also what mode of technology are you responsive to? Do you, would you prefer something in a Chrome extension or would you like to get an email or maybe you get too many emails and you it would go to spam or, or maybe you'd like Slack, a Slack nudge? Or maybe a text nudge, right? Like, and, and then how frequently? Like maybe every day is going to be a nag, but once every quarter is not enough, right? So there's a lot of like dimensions to this that we are starting to want to experiment and, and, and pilot. So part of that is building out a tech platform that allows us to run these experiments. And so that's where we are in our journey um, and, and, and um, investing in, in building that tech platform in 2021. Sounds fascinating. And, and I suppose a hypothesis I might have is the more usable the usability, back to your usability point, the, the better that is, the more likely you are to drive behavior change, particularly if you link it with the right communication channel and the right technology method of doing it as well. So I look forward to uh, talking to you further about that in, uh, in 2021, 2022. Um, yeah. So we talked a little bit about this, but let's turn to our colleagues in HR. Um, I know you've taken a number of, um, you've been heavily involved in this, but what are some of the steps that, that, that you we that you've taken to to improve data literacy amongst the, the wider HR community, um, you know, and 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 what other steps potentially could you could you do moving forward? I think we're doing three things, and I think we could do all three of them better or more going forward. Is, is how I'm thinking about it. Um, the first thing we're doing is we're exporting talent, right? Like there are folks on my team who are you know pretty solid on the data side, but they're also just like really really you know have a real potential future in HR more broadly, right? And so they don't, you know, I I believe deeply, again, we talked about this earlier about people moving around in their careers and continuing to grow and develop. And so I often have conversations with folks on my team and and tell them, hey, you're a great analyst, but I think you could also be a great HR generalist, right? And so let's like move you into HR. And that has the benefit of both growing their career, but coming back to your question, now you're starting to grow HR as well. It's it's a win-win. You're starting to bring that capability more generally into HR and then they could go amplify that 
in their yeah. in their new roles, right? So that's like exporting that talent from my team into HR more broadly. Now, not every analyst on my team is going to be a great fit for HR, but I, I think there's quite a few that, that could be. And so exporting that talent is, is one thing we do. The next thing is really like coaching and training sessions, right? So we hold sessions around data literacy, around how problem solving with data and how do you think about developing hypotheses and how you might test, use data to test those hypotheses um, and, and, and building a community of practice around it. Because again, I'm not a believer in like one-off training sessions. I, I just don't think they drive a tremendous amount of retention and, and learning. But then how do you sustain that going forward? And, and I think building a community of practice around that, right? Um, or even like incorporating interesting little nudges in the products that we have around, hey, did you think about small sample size? Did you think about selection effects before you uh, do this analysis, right? Like there's ways of both incorporating it from a teaching perspective, but then a follow-up kind of reinforcement perspective, right? And so I think we can do more of that in, in, in the new year. And then the third thing is really top down, David. And what I mean by that is working with the CHRO and his leaders to say, hey, how do we set this as the expectation and the norm for our talent? Because at the end of the day, you can do this all day long, but if then you're not hearing that from above, that this is the new norm and this is where HR is going and these are the expectations, your incentives are limited as an individual. And so if you're reinforcing this training and this learning with also hearing that, hey, this is where we want to go as an HR organization and this is where we want our talent to go, that combination is going to be more powerful. So really working with senior executives in HR and saying, hey, look, this is the, the new talent profile of the future and we need to like to that is the third piece of the puzzle yeah i really like that and certainly we had diane gerson on a few months ago from ibm and she said it's it's expected you know there's six thousand, i think hr people at ibm it's expected that they are comfortable and they're data literate it's it's part of the job is that right yeah wow. part of being wow. an hr professional i love okay. the stuff what you're saying that you know it's not just a training course it's, it's continuous learning and it's being able to p- apply that I guess, isn't it? It's about applying that learning in your everyday work. And that's when it really starts to become, you know, and then hopefully people see it. Actually, this is really helpful. This helps me in my conversations with the business. This helps me if I'm if I'm working with the business to to maybe develop some hypotheses that we can maybe go back and the feedback unless it seem contested. You know, so it's it's just making it part of the day to day. I think it's it's really important. So I love that idea around a community of practice and certainly Um, if you pardon the pun, that's certainly a, a good practice that we're seeing in, in, in organizations that are doing that well with, um, with, in terms of raising that capability level. I think it's a great way to demystify it and de-intimidate it, right? Like, because this is not like rocket science. And like, if you're, if you're, if you're doing it alone, it feels more intimidating or it feels like, oh, I can't learn this stuff. And you're doing it with peers and you're kind of doing it all together on that, and on that journey together. I think it makes it easier for, as well. So I, I think it's a really, it's a really wonderful thing. And we, you know, in people analysis, we can learn a lot from our friends in HR anyway, because, you know, they're, they're at the coal face every day working with the business. And, you know, I think the more we understand their challenges, uh, then the, and the more that we can help them and they can help us, frankly, as well. So, um, so yeah, it's really, really good. Let's look towards the future of, of the discipline, the future of people analysis analytics or it could be even the future of people management if you want to expand it what excites you most let me actually um and i don't know if this will directly answer your question but this uh, this is actually what excites me the most about the future of people analytics there's there's two things and it's i'll start with uh talking about business folks and then i'll talk about people on the team it is absolutely incredible when we can go take an insight or an idea that transforms how someone thinks about the decisions they make 
I can't tell you the number of times I've had people being like, gosh, I didn't know we, I didn't know you could, you know, I didn't know HR could do this. I didn't know you could pull the data. We had this kind of data and I didn't, I didn't know we could draw these kinds of insights. And this has changed my thinking on this topic. And that's, that's incredible. I mean, that's literally incredible, right? That is kind of what you aspire to uh, in this space. And um, I, I just think as more and more people, business leaders get exposed to this function and get interact with this function, just see the light bulbs click and see how it transforms their view around talent, organizations, decisions that they make. That excites me. I think it's only going to grow um, because I think it's still a ver- only a very, it's only the tip of the iceberg in terms of the business, the business folks who interact with people analytics functions directly, right? And when they get that, you know, interaction even more, it's going to open up a lot of eyes and possibilities. So that's one thing that excites me. The other, on the other side, it's the talent. And this also excites me, meaning I've had so many people where I've had interactions where I'm trying to hire someone, or I'm just trying to build a relationship. And I tell them about what we do. And their eyes just go wide open. They're like, I didn't know a job like that existed. I didn't know a function like that existed. And it's, and, and it goes back to the point of like, I think there's a lot of like really smart, talented people who are analytically savvy, who haven't thought about HR as a, as, a, as a career or even as a journey, part of their journey, right? For a variety of reasons. And then you tell them about a team like this and the type of work we do, and their eyes are like, oh my gosh, like, I want to do this. And so being able to like help people you know, have this be part of their careers and, and, and entertain that as a possibility, um, I, get, I think that's also going to proliferate in the future as people analytics functions proliferate, as they grow, and as more people get exposure to it. What an amazing way to like transform someone's own career journey and say, hey, look, there's this possibility here and you should come work here and do this work. And they get excited by that. Um, and, and so much of the work is so mission oriented, which matters a lot for so many people. Um, but they're able to combine their data savviness with mission orientedness, with questions, really interesting questions around people and systems. People get really excited. And I, it, 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 I love those conversations when I'm able to like get people excited about the work we do. So those are the two things. It's probably not exactly... Um, the the answer you might have expected, but those two things really excite me about the future of this field. It's your answer, Guru. So it's the right answer. And um, no, no, and it's good. It's a great perspective to hear. I, I share your excitement, I think. And it's it's great that so many people are coming into HR now because they're excited by what HR is doing and excited by the potential people analytics. So p- analysts in other areas of the business are actually flooding into HR because they see, as you said, there's the mission around it which maybe there isn't in 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 other analytics functions so and so that's the that's the good stuff what's your biggest concern about the field i think there are two one is not and i and i touched on this very briefly but i I do have a concern which is not driving to impact because there are so many cool things shiny things that you can do right and i have a concern if like parts of the field in general i'm not just talking about capital one but in general as a field if we just start doing things that are cool but not impactful, do we then become just a fad, right? And then and then we're back to you know not square zero necessarily, but square one, right? And and it becomes a thing where oh it was a big deal for five ten years, but it didn't really change anything, and then uh, it, it kind of goes out of flavor. And and that you know, I don't want that to happen. I think there's tremendous possibilities here, but I do think that's why I'm I'm always so focused on impact um, because I don't want that to happen. So that's kind of one concern I have. Um, and then the second one is both a optimism, but also a concern around data democratization. And what I mean by that is, you know, I came in um, thinking I wanted to democratize data, right? 
I came into this field and, it's, and, and I've, I've kind of modified my stance a little bit and I'll describe what I mean by that. You know, I wanted to build products that anybody could access, no matter how, how savvy you are with regards to data. Let's democratize data. Let's put it out there because more data is better and you can make better decisions with more data. And what I'm realizing is not everyone is on that same level of sophistication of drawing inferences. And in fact, you, if you just throw a lot of data at people, they could actually draw the wrong inferences. And it's actually quite a skill to be able to, in fact, right? And, and this is not shocking, but it is quite, this is quite a skill to be able to draw the right inferences. And so what is the right balance there? Um, and, and, and that balance is also more important in terms of, you know, thinking about data privacy and who gets to see what data and how do we protect the data of our associates? And there's also regulatory things that are coming into, into all of this, right? California, CCPA, GDPR, right? Like, so this intersection of regulatory, um, but you know, um, not betraying the trust of our associates, but also wanting to provide data and, 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 and democratize it more. All of that is coming to like, you know, how do we thread that needle, right? And I feel like we could make some, you know, it could, you know, people could make mistakes on either side of that. Um, and so the thoughtfulness of that, I think, is something that we should take into account. Yeah, I think it's, it's certainly a lot of the organizations that, that, that we work with, you know, they put in place things like ethics charters, obviously, to govern, you know, who has access to data, what work that they're going to do, that there needs to be some value for the, for the associates or the employees as well. And I guess around democratization, we need to help people draw inference from from data, particularly those that maybe are less less savvy with it, because it doesn't mean that they're not very senior in organizations and might take it the wrong way. So, yeah, I think I share, I share your concerns about that uh, because, you know, the, the field is developing so fast, it would That's be right. easy for mistakes to be made. And, and, and that could set us back, um, you know, just as not driving to impact and focusing on the cool, shiny things rather than things that actually add value. Because as you know, probably better than me, that it's not always the most sophisticated analytics that drive the biggest impact. So it's it's all about focusing on the outcome that you're trying to achieve rather than the core analytics that could help you to get there. So um, it's a really cool. So I think um, so a couple, last couple of questions, really, um, you know, certainly from someone who's come into people analytics over the last three or four years, you know, and obviously had a huge impact at Capital One. You don't get permission to grow the team the way you have unless you actually are delivering impact. So I think that's a great credit to, to you and the team. What 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 are the key tips you would give to a people analytics leader or even a CHRO looking to scale people analytics in their company? I think there's multiple phases of this. I think, look, in a, in a, I'm going to probably repeat a few themes that I've shared with you. But one is first depending on what stage you are on this journey, right? Like if you're in the early, early stages, I would say start with the things that are the most interesting and important questions and then work backwards to the data, right? Like if, 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 if diversity or let's say talent management or hiring, like pick your thing, start with the topic and the, the area that's of most import and then work backwards from there to then say, okay, let's build a data ecosystem around this. Let's go build the insights and so on and so forth. Don't just go build the entire system from scratch because that may be overkill, right? So work backwards from, again, what's useful, where the impact is, and so on and so forth. Once you've built out a couple of examples and proof points of like value and impact, then I think is when you're ready to like really scale up. And that's where you want to like probably have a step function change in terms of the size of your team, the capabilities of your team, et cetera, and really want to build that data infrastructure, the underlying data infrastructure 
and the and the insights team that can really drive it, right? So I wouldn't jump straight to that. I would start with like, hey, let's you know build out like um, a smaller team that is really doing the most important problem solving around the most important questions. And then once you've done that, you move to scaling it up in terms of the data and the product infrastructure. So that's the way I would sequence it. I've seen examples where people have built too quickly, too fast. And then you come back to some of the problems we talked about before of like not knowing how to have impact and not knowing what to do with the data and all of that. And then you get set back, right? And so I think sequencing that is probably something I I would advise. Um, The other thing is really like the partnership with HR is just so important, David, right? Um, Really making HR feel like we're a true partner in this endeavor, that we're not like some side shop and that we work directly with the business and we go around HR, like we're a real, real partner with them. And we're, you know, building that credibility, building the relationships with them, understanding their needs so that we can um, have a great relationship where at different points, maybe HR is in the room um, with the business partner, maybe we're in the room, maybe we're both in the room, but there's just a really good relationship and that we're really benefiting from each other's skill sets and, and, and building a better mousetrap here. Um, I think that you don't want tension with HR, right? And you don't want to feel them to feel like this is, you know, taking away from their abilities in any way or not allowing them to function the best way possible. So I think really building that relationship and understanding where this function might sit in the organization, how it might interact with HR in general, I think all of those pieces um, are, are really important as well. Yeah, I guess, I mean, people analytics and HR together are much stronger than separately and you, you almost right. people analytics that's can help right. augment the value of hr that's exactly right. um and it's about managing those different stakeholders well isn't it i guess that's, that's a that's right. a real challenge for people and seeing whether they're big senior business stakeholders hr other functions like finance so clearly we need to work with legal um you know uh, it uh, type customer side anyone that's interacting with customers of course you know so there's a lot of different stakeholders to keep happy with people analytics. Well, David, let me, I, I think you bring up a really good word and you did, and let's actually spend a second on it, stakeholders. The, one of the things I look for in my senior leadership team are people who know how to manage stakeholders and manage different, uh, you know, manage across different interest groups, so to speak, yep. and really influence senior executives, right? And so um, it's, I mean, like they'll have teams that are doing the analytical work and so on and so forth, but for the leaders on my team, they have to be able to manage all of that because you're right. There's like, there's HR stakeholders, there's business stakeholders, there's um, and, and the legal, right? Legal is a partner to us um, because of some of the work we do, as you can imagine, finance is a partner to us, right? Like, so there's a vast number of, uh, of stakeholders here. And it's really, really important to think through where those folks are coming from and how we really, really partner. And it's, it's, it's something we value in general at Capital One. But I think especially a function like this, that skill set becomes really important. And I love what you say about, you know, when you're maybe earlier in the journey, focus on the right the right work to deliver right. impact before you spend lots of time, effort right. and money, frankly, building the data yeah. infrastructure. Because, you know, once you've proved the value, it's a lot easier to get the budget to build the infrastructure and bring more people in, isn't it? So, and, and I see so many companies doing it the wrong way around and thinking that they we can't do anything until we get our data infrastructure correct. You know, it's, it's just, uh, so if, if people take one thing away from this conversation, please say that way, focus on delivering value and having impact. I think it's really important. So, so Guru, uh, this leads nicely onto the last question that we're, so we're asking all our guests on the, on the show in this series. You know, what should HR leaders, and please extend it to people analytics teams, 
do to help prepare their organizations for the future where there will likely be an increase, well, there already has, but an increase in remote and hybrid working? Let me start with something tactical that I think is super important, and then we can move to like a strategic answer. I think tactically, having a robust survey team is just paramount. When things are changing as quickly as they are in this environment, and we are going into unknown areas, right? I mean, this year was an unknown, David, just in terms of like the pandemic and like the, the speed at which change happened during the pandemic and exponential growth and exponential change. I mean, a decision that you thought was preposterous as a CEO one week might have been the norm the next week, literally, right? And so at that rate of change, you really do want to stay closely connected to how your associates are feeling and, and hear from the voice of the associates. And even at Capital One, where we, you know, we do quarterly surveys, quarterly is not enough this year. I mean, so much happened from quarter to quarter. And so we instituted pulse surveys and more periodic surveys and touch points and, and focus groups. And, and so building out a really robust capability to hear the voice of your associates is something I would just recommend that I think is not only, was not only incredibly useful for us and other companies during this time, but I think leaders will find that useful going forward in general, right? Because the pace of change in business just is so fast. So that's, that's one I would just kind of lead off with. Now, if we move kind of more strategically, I think there's uh, a lot of kind of strategic considerations that we should think about as we kind of maybe get out of the pandemic in 2021. forward. One of the things we've noticed is during this kind of year, we've actually been pretty productive, right? A lot of the knowledge workforce has actually been pretty productive. But our hypothesis is that that productivity is going to wear off. And, and, and when we think that it's going to wear off, wear off for two reasons. One is the intellectual vibrancy of working together in physical spaces, right? Uh, especially for no the knowledge workforce. The ideas that are exchanged, the connections you make in the hallway that generate future conversations and future ideas, the ability to whiteboard and really like scratch out like new new ideas, the ability to get context from people, again, through random conversations, that is missing. And there's, I think, a lot of academic research that shows the importance of that in, um, in, 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 the, in the knowledge workforce. So there's kind of this intellectual thing that, again, we've been able to like pepper over for like nine months, 10 months, but like, I don't think that is going to sustain itself. And then there's the emotional connection, right? Um, I just had a chat with a colleague today where he's starting to, you know, he brought up the really interesting point of like, he's starting to feel like a lot of the connection that he built with the team, uh, you know, over the last couple of years is starting to wear off. And there's might be a little bit of, not a tremendous amount, but a little bit of trust that's being lost over time. Um, and people getting a little bit more curt with each other. Um, if interactions being a little bit more transactional because you can just hit a button and that person is gone, right? Again, a bit uh, hard, but it might be worth thinking about, hey, can we measure some of these things of loss of trust and so on and so forth? But even otherwise, I think there's good reason to suspect this is the case. So I say these two things to say, despite kind of our view that, hey, productivity might not have taken a huge hit in 2020, I absolutely would not recommend a like fully flexible workforce. Like if the CEO came to me and is like, Guru, what's your recommendation? I would say absolutely not. Like back to in, in, when we're back to normal, I absolutely would not recommend a fully flexible workforce. Right? Does that mean though that, we, that doesn't mean though that we might not have to be a little bit more flexible. And then does it mean like we might not have to think about, hey, what does remote actually mean? Remote means different things. Remote could mean I'm working from Wyoming or it could mean, hey, I'm working from Philly and I can get down to DC in two hours and I can do that every day, right? And those are vastly different things right? And, and remote means different things for someone who's an individual contributor on a software engineering team versus a people leader who leads a team of 50 people. And like, right? So I think we have to dig under remote flexibility for whom, 
for when, and, and really develop some principles around this. And that's what I would recommend, not just, that's what I'm going to recommend for our leaders, but also for anybody out there who's listening is like really like getting underneath this a bit and double clicking and triple clicking around some of these concepts and then developing a framework and set of principles that you feel um, comfortable with moving forward. It's actually, it's when you actually start thinking about it, it's actually really complex, isn't it? Because you've got to balance employee employee preferences with right. the work that the business requirements clearly work the work that needs to be done and then right. those you know you might have two people in the same team doing very much the same role but one of them can't wait to get back in the office because they like the office as a place yeah. for connection and everything else yeah. whereas someone else might be really happy about working from home four or five days a week so it's a real it's a really interesting and i think you know a lot of organizations have seen productivity go up from their remote um, workforce if you want to call them that um but then look you know you're talking about some of the, the maybe the more innovative or more creative things are we losing that you know what about wellness you know because does productivity right. just mean that people are working longer hours you know how sustainable right. is that right. so right. yeah there's so many questions that are still to be answered i think another dimension there is how do you think about a new hire versus someone who's already in the company like uh, you know who needs connection more than a new hire right like new hires really need to understand and meet people and understand the context and and much more so than I might, right? Because I've already been here for three years and I have relationships, et cetera. So how do you think about that group versus someone who's out, right? Like, so there's so many different groups and subgroups and um, dimensions that you have to consider on this. So I think kind of blanket, blanket statements are not going to be helpful and like really getting, you know, uh, underneath it is, is going to be the work that needs to get done here. Well, it's going to be fascinating work for, for people analytics teams all over the world, helping their organizations navigate through that. Guru, it's been wonderful having you as a guest on the on the show. Um, you know, can you let listeners know how they can stay in touch with you and follow you on social media if you uh, if you partake in that? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm on I'm on LinkedIn and I'm on Twitter, but um, on LinkedIn you can find me pretty easily, Guru Satipati. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn, so happy to interact with people there and, and make connections. And hopefully, hopefully, fingers crossed, we'll be seeing people. We'll see, be seeing each other in uh, 2021, David. Let's hope so. Initially, I wasn't missing being on a plane, but I quite like to go on a plane at the moment. Maybe not now because it's uh, um, it's a bit dark and, and, and cold, but but certainly uh, certainly in the near future. Absolutely, absolutely. Look forward to it. Look forward to a, a, a brighter twenty twenty one, and uh, really appreciate you having having me on the show. I enjoyed our conversation as always. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Digital HR Leaders Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. You can subscribe via podcast app of choice. If you did enjoy listening, please do rate the show in your podcast app. Share it with your friends and colleagues via social media. We rely on your feedback and support to keep being able to make the podcast. If you haven't already, do check out the MyHR Future Academy at myhrfuture.com. It's a learning experience platform for HR professionals looking to get certified in people analytics, digital HR, and workforce planning. You can also subscribe to my weekly newsletter by going to the My HR Future website. That's all for this episode, and indeed this series of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. Thank you to all of our guests in the series, Dave Orich, Bridget McInnes-Day, Rupert Morrison, Wen Shan Zhu, Wagner Dinuso, Ethan Bernstein, and Guru Sethipathy, as well as a sponsor for the series, Orgview. We'll be back soon with series 12. Until then, stay safe, stay well, and I'll see you next time.